0: This episode of The First Feature is sponsored by Musicbed. Welcome to The First Feature, a No Film School podcast. My name is Ryan Koo. I'm the founder of No Film School. And my first feature is titled Amateur. Amateur is a Netflix original and it is out. Go to Netflix, search for Amateur. It came out April 6th. And you can view it now. Every episode of the First Feature podcast covers a different phase of filmmaking, from screenwriting to prep to production to release. It is how I got amateur made, episodically. Amateur's a feature, so there's only one episode. But this podcast, we are now in episode three? Episode three, screenwriting. If you have any questions while you're listening to this podcast about making your own feature, you can email them to firstfeature at nofilmschool.com. Or just find me on Twitter at Ryan Biku. I'm here again following up on our episode on shorts with
1: producer John Fusco. Hey. Hey, I wasn't sure if if I should be speaking during that intro or not, but. uh, You could have said something. I could have said something. I was like motioning with my hands to. Enthusiastically about the release? We talked a lot about enthusiasm in the last episode, and uh, I can tell you that I'm coming to this episode full force, enthusiasm-wise. So it's interesting, because John has actually not seen the movie at the time
0: that we're recording this. That's true. But he is working on his first feature script, and so it's apt that we have this discussion, because Amateur was my first feature script, and it's rare that you get to make your first feature, but... Uh, I think the overall lesson from Amateur is that most of the time that I spent making this movie was writing the script. And of the last seven and a half years from idea to release, at least five years of that was screenwriting. And so hopefully what this podcast episode will cover is more that it wasn't all about this one screenplay. It was about learning to be a screenwriter. And that five-year stretch could have been 10 drafts of 10 features or it could have just been 100 drafts of one feature and the latter was what it was for me
1: that is such a scary thought for me (laughs) thinking that you know i have this if i haven't even started you know i've outlined for a script but i haven't even started that journey yet and that's a five-year journey for you so maybe it's like a eight-year journey for me who knows or maybe it's an eight-month journey. Maybe, but I don't know. It's like you say, Like I really want to learn to be a screenwriter. And I think that's uh, something that does take a long-ass time to do. Absolutely. It's just like being an athlete. If you set foot
0: on the court with guys who have been playing basketball for 15 years and have put in their 10,000 hours, you wouldn't expect to be at their level. But screenwriters, everyone walking around thinks they have the great American screenplay in them because all it really requires from a technical standpoint is a laptop and a keyboard and do you know English or whatever language you're going to write in. A language, yeah. So it seems easy, but it's a craft just like any other. And in some ways that makes it more difficult because it's so accessible. You don't have to be six foot eight like you may want to be, if you did want to be a professional basketball player. So that means you're not just competing with other people who are 99th percentile physically in height or speed. You're competing with everybody.
1: Yeah, and I think and that... And that wraps up this episode. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> but also, you know, I we established last episode how you actually had your feature script written before your short. Um, and that's like a really interesting uh, thing for me to think about in terms of you already had a starting off point, I feel like. So what draft were you on of your feature screenplay when you made the short? One of the questions I wonder about is what is a draft?
0: Because for the years that I was working on this script, I was fairly constantly working on it. And there would be forks in the road, and I would make a change, and I would save that. So the number of final draft files in on my laptop is well into the hundreds. Wow. But... What I ended up thinking of as a draft was something that I'd finished and I'd sent to somebody else. So it's kind of more like folders of the script. And I, th- I don't even know what the exact number was, but it was in the 20s in terms of number of times that I finished something and sent it to somebody to either try to get it made or for feedback and then
1: went back to the start. So 20-something. So you had a full feature written. What did you do to parse down the feature into making a short? What were like the key, because we talked about last episode how this was supposed to be sort of a package deal. So what were the things that you really wanted to uh, illustrate through the short that were strengths of your feature script? I think amateur is probably different from most short to feature
0: processes because for something like Whiplash, or you, you said Thunder Road yeah. last week, those were scenes specifically from the feature. And because I'd spent so much time researching this world and writing in this world, I had a separate idea that didn't fit into my main narrative, which was about an older kid. And therefore it was, it's almost a different genre. It actually is basically a different genre than the feature. It's a different tone. It was just an idea that occurred to me that I had that was doable, that I felt would help put myself out there. Um, But that, that approach, it's interesting, that approach is not usual. And actually, at the Sundance Screenwriters Lab, where we screened the fellows' shorts and most often the advisors' features, Quentin Tarantino said to me, I learned something from you. I learned that I could take my minor characters from my features and make a short about them. And at that point, I was like, okay, good. I'm, I'm going home right now. Tarantino said he learned something from me. <laughs> like this is, you know, this is day one. I'm good. I'm, I'm done, uh, which was amazing. But you know, I'm still waiting on Quentin to do that so that I can, I can raise my hand and, and take credit. Um, but I think that's not the usual approach. But maybe by virtue of having worked on transmedia projects and trying to think about other forms, that kind of extension was, was where it came from.
1: So it's almost as if the short was a separate product, the the script for the short was a separate product than the script for the feature am i am i hearing that correctly
0: yes definitely and it's again it's uh i think one of the things i enjoy about it is if you watch the feature the short will not be what you expect and if you watch the short the feature will not be what you expect there are two different
1: skill sets and tones so then you had this script before you made the short when you were starting out did you first want to be a screenwriter or did you want to be a filmmaker or did you know that you wanted to be both? I, I think of
0: myself as a director-writer, not a writer-director. D- directing is the thing that comes more naturally to me. I think uh, like a lot of writer-directors, sometimes the only way to get your worldview and your ideas out there is to write them yourself or to co-write them or whatever the, the input process is on that side. But So that's what it was for me was just to, Let me put my point of view down on paper, and in the process, I will learn screenwriting. And when I said earlier that I had never written a feature before, that doesn't mean I hadn't screenwritten before. I had co-written a web series. I had co-written a transmedia series, and so these are lots of time spent writing, but this was the
1: first solo feature film screenplay that I'd ever undertaken. So what was the difference there between the co-writing these transmedia projects and actually sitting down and writing the feature yourself?
0: I think the challenge for Zach Lieberman, my co-writer at the time, and I was we were both kind of like me. We both really enjoyed production and directing and visual storytelling. So... It's kind of like going through the screenwriting process, but then not getting the project made, which was the case for our Transmedia project. It was kind of like you're enduring the loss without getting to the win. You know, it's like if you were on a, a team, everyone's going to go through the, the hard, hardship, but then you also have these upsides and these celebrations to, to offset it. So for us, the difficulty was just being at that earlier phase. And that's why for me going into writing my first feature, that I really, really wanted to pick a topic that I would see through to the end, that I was so passionate about that if it took me years and if I was told no dozens and dozens of times, that I would just keep going and keep working on my craft because it was a world that I cared a lot about and that I was passionate
1: about. I think that like a huge part of screenwriting is discipline and uh maybe it's easier in some sense to have a co-writer to sort of support you in that sense where you're you're being pushed in a way and there's almost like a competition maybe even between the two of you uh to see who can get more done for the final product how do you inspire that that discipline in yourself when you're alone and you have you know you have no film school that you're running yeah i did same time i did two things One was that
0: to make it feel less lonely, I would just talk to myself and I recorded myself talking to myself so that if I'm thinking through a problem, if I'm hitting my head against the wall and I don't know what the next answer is, I would just get up and pace and put on a Bluetooth headset and just record it all so that if I had a light bulb moment, I could keep pushing forward and it wouldn't evaporate and I wouldn't forget about it because I could rewind. And I think since then, transcription softwares and other apps have gotten better, so there might even be a better way to do that than what I was doing A few years ago but one was recording myself to sort of simulate a co-writing process and the other was I tracked my hours and I've written about this on no film school but having a website that I was the founder of and that I was running there's always something on our to-do list there's always so many things to do and it's very easy to jump on those and to have those take priority in your life and if you're not an entrepreneur I'm sure you have plenty of other things in your life that are the same way So for me, I started tracking my hours just using an app. And then I would look back on it and say, if this film was the most important thing in my life, then I should be spending more time on it than anything else. And I just arbitrarily came up with a number that I thought, this is a reasonable amount of time to feel like I'm a screenwriter. And I told myself, 2,000 hours. So that's essentially a full time job for a year, eight hours a day, five days a week, 52 weeks. And most people, when they're screenwriting, are not writing eight hours a day every day. So it's a matter of getting to that number. And ultimately, that was really instructive for me to be tracking my hours because I would see hey, last month I spent a lot more time on no film school. So next month I need to make a change. But ultimately, it ended up being
1: a lot more than 2,000 hours. Did it get any easier as it went along? That regimen? You know, like exercise, for example. Like when you start lifting weights, it's going to be really hard to be lifting like, you know, 100 pound weights. But then once you gain a certain endurance, um, and this is something that you've been doing day after day after day, it gets easier. Is riding like that?
0: I think you get to know yourself better and you learn about tricks to make it easier. I think it's always difficult because. Screenwriting may seem like an easy thing because you're just typing on a laptop, but really what you're asking yourself to do is exist in an entirely other world and to be knowing what every character in that world is thinking and doing and is motivated by at all times, uh, it's really difficult to shut out your current world in light of that. So what I found was tools and tricks to help myself get into that place One of them was to treat the first few hours of the day as to try to do whatever I found most enjoyable. So to write a scene that I felt confident about or to do some research that I was looking forward to because the first couple of hours, very often they're just throwaways. It takes a couple of hours, most tasks in the world you can do in a couple hours. But with screenwriting to get to that depth where you're existing in another world in your imagination It might take two hours so that the work doesn't even really begin until your third hour, and then you need a seven-hour session to to get work done. So those first few hours, I would um, try to make them enjoyable, and then I would do whatever I could to help myself get to that world. So it might be putting in earplugs to shut out wherever I am now, which is distracting. It might be listening to music that my character would listen to. It might even be to watch another movie or a documentary or something that takes place in the world that I'm writing about. Um, I would di- I did a lot of research by reading books, but I would also listen to audiobooks. So just something that orients yourself to the world you're dealing with is a nice way to sort of transition from the current world to your fictional world.
1: Then do you transition back to the current world after that, or do you kinda try and like keep yourself in that mindset throughout the entire writing experience? I did both. Some of it was
0: if I was here in New York going to a coffee shop and writing all day, then, of course, I would have to transition back. And that's difficult because sometimes you're in this world with your friends or your family or your significant others, but you're still sort of halfway somewhere else, and um, that's part of the difficulty of it. But then what I also would do is go on sprints where I would shut out everything else in my life and I would go someplace that wasn't home where the only thing in my life was the script. Um, could have been a friend's house. It could have been my girlfriend's parents' house. It could have been, I went to Costa Rica. Uh, you know, whatever you can do that takes away sort of the distraction of your actual life and allows you to, from the minute you wake up to the minute you go to sleep, to exist in this other world, I found that to be not always necessary. There were drafts that I did that weren't like that, but occasionally, for sure, uh, it helped with the depth.
1: So then out of those 2,000 hours, uh, how long did it take you to get your first draft done?
0: You know, the first thing I did, because this is a this is a very research-based world where my goals were authenticity, and I guess I should say something about basketball because that's what the movie is. Yeah. But essentially, this movie takes place in the world of youth basketball, and I grew up playing basketball, but... To get back to that world after moving to New York City and being a filmmaker, and I've played basketball ever since, but I haven't played basketball in this world of uh, young athletes being recruited, Um, I had to do a lot of research. And before, so the first draft was not really writing in screenplay software. It was months of researching it, both secondhand through books and firsthand through interviews, and then i did quite a bit of outlining but the first draft is often referred to as the vomit draft and i think a lot of writers start writing and then it's not as good as they'd like it to be so they go back and they keep editing and then you don't make a lot of forward progress because when you get to page 30 if you go back and you start editing page one then by the end of the day you've just edited the stuff you already wrote So I tried to be, and I knew myself, and I'm my own worst critic, like a lot of storytellers, and I knew if I did that, that I would never get anywhere because it would never be good enough. So the first draft, I wrote with a pen and paper and a notebook instead of doing it on a computer because I couldn't go back and edit it, and I had to keep turning the page. And then when I got to the end, I would be less precious about it, and then I could go as kind of a second draft, turn that handwritten version into the screenplay software and also also be revising it in that process, but that I could not go back.
1: That's great, yeah. I think that's really important. Was there any sort of process or method that you followed in terms of writing this first draft? Like, I remember writing up a little masterclass that this professor gave to us about writing a screenplay and how, you know, like the three acts, the rise, the flame, the... Ignition, whatever, all that stuff. Did you follow any of those or did you kind of just uh, use it as an like a stream of consciousness sort of thing? I'm a big
0: fan in, of outlining and not, you know, some people say they're pantsers. They just go by the seat of their pants and write and some amazing screenwriters have done that. Like Charlie Kaufman has said that he, that he does that. For me, I think where some of those more master classy kind of books and structure tips come into play is i think you need to first know what you want to say and what your story is and what your characters are and then worry about the structure i think you see a lot of screenplays where the structure is the the is the cart pulling the horse Something needed to happen at this point, you needed to hit this mark in, according to structure books, and therefore something happens, but it doesn't really make sense in the world of the characters. And so it's helpful, I think, once you know your story and what you're trying to say, to then go and pay attention to a lot of those things so that you can figure out the form and the length and maybe make some adjustments in terms of where
1: something is happening, but that the, the structure should be secondary. And then, so all that information comes in the outlining process, would you say? For, for you, like, what was that outline, what did that outline look like? I think a lot of the
0: outlining was after, was between drafts. Okay. So you do a draft, and then I would send it to somebody, I would get feedback, we can talk more about what you do when you finish a draft, but then when I would go back into the next draft, I wanted to be really clear about what my objectives were, and to do more research if necessary, which was often necessary, and... I would say that of the however many thousands of hours it ended up being, again, it was way more than 2,000, uh, 50% of that, at least, was not in screenwriting software. It was researching and outlining and just really trying to break your story so that when you go into the software and you're getting more granular and you know and you're focusing on dialogue and what the, the, the change in the scene is and what everyone's motivation is, that you know where that scene is ending and where the next scene is beginning and you have your map of where you're trying to go with it.
1: Yeah. So that outline contains sort of all the relevant information for the characters, including their motivations, uh, including, I guess, like their background. Is that what you use the outline for? Like what does physically, what did, if I were to look at a page of your outline, what would I see on that page?
0: So I ended up using a piece of software called Workflowy, and it's essentially just a sort of flexible bulleted list, which allows you to expand and collapse various levels. It's, um, I tried a lot of different software tools, and outlining was actually one of the biggest challenges for me in that regards, because there are some screenplay softwares that have outlining tools built in. There are times where I would do index cards, but then you travel somewhere and your index cards are at home on your wall and they're not, they're not with you and it's, it takes more work to reorganize them. Um, So really if the outline to me is really the beats of the story and often that is what changes in every scene. Mm -hmm. You go in thinking this is going to happen, but that happens. And, but is such a powerful word, because if nothing changes in the scene, it doesn't go from positive to negative or negative to positive, and there's not a twist or anything, then you get into the the realm of just and then and then and then, and it's not involving for the audience, and um, you know that that's something that I always made sure to keep in the outline was what the change is.
1: so you identify the change in the outline that uh, sort of drives the plot forward in a way, would you say? It it drives the plot, but it's
0: often a character thing as well. Because this is a single character movie, so you have to be very cognizant of how he's feeling and why and how that affects his motivations. Uh, Plot without character can get really... um, If you ever watched a movie and you just check out, a lot of times it's because it's becoming plot-driven, but you're not connecting with the characters... So the outline can also really focus on, on them and their motivations as opposed to just, mm. this happens or this explodes or you know anything that doesn't concern them. Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should be an asset to your film, not a roadblock. Musicbed is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and a new checkout process. Want to exclude holiday songs from your search in July? Go for it. Need a folk song that has a guitar but no banjos at 120 beats per minute? No problem. With advanced search features like include, exclude, beats per minute, key, song build, and more, finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster. Get 20% off your next on-site license with coupon code FIRSTFEATURE20. Learn more at musicbed.com slash new.
1: So then while you're preparing for the screenwriting, did you read a lot of other screenplays? You, said, you mentioned that you'd read some screenwriting books. Um, were there any in particular that were helpful or that totally influenced you in a way? There are a lot of well established
0: books in the screenwriting world. I don't remember one in particular. I think sometimes I would just revisit them to try to get a fresh perspective on my script, whether that's Save the Cat or Story or the Screenwriter's Bible or you know, there's there's a lot of them out there. I, I think um, one of the things that's really helpful, of course, is just to read other screenplays, which Sometimes it's helpful to read the ones that you've already seen the movie for, and other times it's helpful to just read ones that you haven't already seen the film so that you can experience it more freshly. One of the things that I found was helpful for myself was to take a movie that I really liked, that I responded to strongly, and then reverse engineer it. Do an outline for that movie that already exists and just write it up myself. And when you do that, the film starts to reveal itself in terms of what its motivations are and what it's saying and how it's constructed and plotted. And it can be helpful to figure out what kind of movies you like. Like, maybe it turns out that you really like that because it was not plot-driven. So I did that a few times, and I think that was also helpful for me in the outlining process.
1: When you're in that process of sort of immersing yourself in the world, did you watch a lot of sports movies uh to sort of identify themes that you could then incorporate into your own film or did you like look for tropes that you could use or sort of bend to your own advantage for sure
0: i, I think i tried to watch every basketball movie <laughs> ever made uh not necessarily to duplicate them because of course you're trying to do something different but some people have more of a ignorance is bliss approach like oh i don't want to know what's out there because i want to do my own thing and I disagree with that. I think you have to know what's out there so that you don't do the same thing. And you might find something in a movie that you really appreciated, even if you didn't appreciate the overall movie. You might just say, oh, this is a nice moment or a character that exists in that world that this movie didn't explore that I could. Um, and then also, of course, there are documentaries. And those, those are often really helpful especially if you're let's say you're trying to research your movie but usually on your first feature you don't have money you don't have financing so how are you doing this research there's There's an ideal way to do it, which is you have research assistants and you can fly around the country and you can sit down with people and you have credibility. And that when you email somebody to ask them for their time that you're already known and they say yes. But on your first feature, you don't have those things. So often you can kind of double up on things and say, well, I'm going to go down and try and talk to this person. And then on the way down, I'm going to watch this documentary and kind of just stack it all to, to get as much information as you can without those other uh tools and advantages
1: well you bring up an interesting point about like having time to be able to really sit down and do this stuff what are some ways that you allowed yourself to free up some time uh i know that like you applied to some grants and you won some grants that maybe ended up giving you some financial stability so you could spend that time writing is that what what grants did you apply for how did that help yeah
0: exactly Eric and I talked about that a little bit because he's coming from IFP. Uh, IFP doesn't give you grants, but they do a tremendous amount to support the project and put you in touch with people. In terms of the grants that I applied for, I definitely applied for way more than I got. And that's, that's one thing. I think the deadlines of applying for grants are helpful, as is the format that they have you apply. If you go into a grant application and there's a form and it says what are you trying to accomplish with this movie? A, that makes you think about it. And B, if it says, what are you trying to accomplish with this movie in 150 words, then it makes you think about it in a very succinct way. And to have to sort of constantly be revisiting those basic motivations throughout the course of the film, they may change over time, but it also keeps you on track, both with the deadlines and with the fact that you have to explain and defend and... Uh, you know, be your own project's um, best advertiser in a way to be putting your best foot forward. Um, so I did the grants that I got I got a grant from the Tribeca Film Institute here in New York and we talked about it last time I ended up using that grant to make the short which was instrumental in making the feature so that certainly paid its dividends. Uh, and then I got multiple grants from Sundance and those definitely definitely paid for some of those writing processes, like I was talking about going on a sprint. Sometimes the writing grant pays you to go do research, or sometimes it just pays you, as you mentioned, to live. And in this case, if I'm going to go to a cabin and write somewhere, well, I'm locking myself in there, so there's not a lot of expense, but I might need to rent a car, I need to buy groceries, and uh, you know, you might have lost wages from the job that you normally do. So those grants are incredibly important not only from the financial standpoint, but also from the standpoint of having you define your project and what's important about it constantly.
1: Did you get those Sundance grants uh, before you attended the lab or after you attended the lab? One was in conjunction with the lab, and then there was another after that was to continue developing the screenplay. Should we talk about Sundance Screenwriters Lab now? or Let's do it. All right, let's, let's talk it. about it. I mean, we did a whole podcast about the Sundance Screenwriters Lab back in 2016 when we first launched the podcast. But, you know, it's still sort of a mystery what exactly happens at these labs. Um, So I guess, first of all, what does a screenwriter lab do for the writer, Uh, you know, regardless of the fact if it's something as prestigious as Sundance or not?
0: I can't speak to all of them. I think they probably have different priorities and goals. For example, some... Writers' programs will give you industry and business advice. They'll have workshops on how to pitch. You get up there and pitch and are critiqued and improve on that side of things. The Sundance Lab is not that. It is very, very specifically designed to be a creative haven where you don't have to think about any of the industry considerations. And it's all about getting in touch with who you are and what your motivation is and what makes you different and why you want to tell this story and what's so inspiring about being there. And, and I recommend people go back and listen to that uh, podcast. I think it was called the mysteries of the Sundance screenwriters lab. And, and I recorded it with four other lab fellows who had just come off of their screenwriters lab a couple years after I had done mine is it's both uh, it's, it's really high highs and really low lows. And I think that's necessary because you're there with these amazing advisors who've written some of your favorite films. And it feels so inspiring that they're even taking the time to read your material. But they're also so credible that they poke holes in your material that even if you felt going in that your script was pretty good, you're going to come out thinking that it's, it's garbage. <laughs> you know, like It really needs to be broken down and, and rebuilt. Um, But the thing that's great about it and what Sundance has done so amazingly is that it's not these writers telling you, you should do this because it will be more commercial or you should do this because I said so, that, that, that it's their idea. They're really just trying to talk to you and figure out what your take is and what your voice is and draw that out of you. And I think that's something that's harder for other labs to do because the Sundance lab is a week straight. Of just talking to these advisors and you're not actually doing any writing when you're there you're just talking about it and you may be writing down ideas you may be writing down what somebody said but you're not allowed to do any screenwriting the entire week of the lab
1: so then what did you come back with
0: you come back with a lot of ideas more ideas than you should ever apply to your script And often what happens is... Well, because you can can go in any direction with the script. You can take it over here, you can go over there, and if you try to go both ways, then it's going to be two different movies. What often happens is writers come out and they do this kitchen sink draft, which is they try every idea they had in the same screenplay. And I will say that is definitely true of my screenplay. I think over five years, it pretty linearly got better, except coming out of the screenwriter's lab, it took a step back. And that's somewhat expected and necessary because you have to if you try to go in all those directions and it fails you'll know which one of those directions was the right one to go in the next draft so i think in some cases you go to the sundance screenwriters lab your next draft gets worse but then every draft after that has made a substantial leap by virtue of
1: being at the lab so then let's talk a bit about the drafting process i mean you said that you had more than a (laughs) 100 different drafts what were some of the changes that would happen between those drafts?
0: For my film, it was different because it's it's a single character protagonist, and a lot of the drafts, especially once we got later in the process, were about figuring out who's around him and what their motivations are and how they push or pull him in different directions. Uh, it's a you know very particular perspective for the film. So... The choices that I had are are limited, but also, as soon as you introduce a new character, whether it be a, a new family member, or uh, a coach that has different motivations, you know everything has to change to adjust. So that that may be not particularly instructive for everybody's screenplay, but for me, a lot of it was the people around him and how that affected his journey.
1: So it's like you start with the protagonist story, and then you go back and you flesh out the secondary characters in a way that it actually ends up benefiting the fleshing out of the protagonist
0: for sure. And I think a lot of screenplays suffer from mine being no different is that you spend so much time with your protagonist and caring about your protagonist that oftentimes the other characters aren't as well drawn and their motivations might not be as clear and they might be not making decisions that benefit themselves, right? If you have, antagonists, they always need to be the protagonist of their own world and they need to be doing something that makes sense to them and sometimes you can get to a point where they need to do something because that's what gets your protagonist to where you want him or her to go but then why is this other person doing it? And so one thing that I found was helpful was to do an entire draft just based on one character. So this is going to be the character that I just look at the character of the mother. And I'm going to go through the whole story and just look at it from her perspective and make sure everything she's doing makes sense and I understand why she's doing that or the coach or the father uh, to really hone in on them and give them the same depth and complexity that you've given your main character.
1: So it seems like you're really focusing on character uh, within every one of these drafts and in your screenwriting progress or process in general, are there any other viable ways to be focusing on drafting like this? Like, if you do have a more plot-heavy story or if you're looking to make a blockbuster movie, I don't think, like, that's the same screenwriting process. You know what I mean? You know what? I think it is. And that's
0: because the blockbuster film industry, the studios, no matter what side of the industry you're on, the industry is generally driven by casting and casting is often character if you want to get this big name actor it has to be an attractive role for them to play that's harder if you have no money so it better be an even more complex attractive role that they don't get in the studio films but even on the big blockbusters actors are whatever their paycheck is it's about who that character is and what their motivation is and what's interesting to them about playing this person so i think it is really just a character-driven industry, um, even if that what interests them is that this person has superpowers and can do anything they want and, and, <laughs> and it comes with $10 million. I mean, I think maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's a little bit different in some of the, the franchises now where, where the character is kind of already known and established and, it's, and they're doing another version of it. But, um, but yeah, it's really cast-driven and that means that um, the actors that you want in your film are going to be drawn by the the complexity and what's different and new. And therefore, even if you are thinking that your movie is really plot-driven, they've got to be interesting roles for, for these actors to play.
1: So then here's a here's a question that's a bit of a hardball. Are you ready for this? Did you do anything in your uh, screenplay while writing that uh, maybe didn't resonate with you, but you thought would be more commercially attractive for prospective fundraising or producing, or distributing, or casting in that sense.
0: For sure. I mean, you're, you have to be clear about what your most important motivations are when making a movie. And for me, my most important motivation is getting this movie
1: made. Totally.
0: And you have to know where you won't take it and what your original objectives are. And I had a very clear purpose in making this movie. So I knew where I would draw the line and which opportunities would be off the table because of those things. But by virtue of pitching the screenplay for years and getting no's for years, I was, of course, motivated to make a change to get this movie made. Because no matter, if I stuck to my guns and it just stayed in my drawer and never got made as a film, that would not have been me achieving my objectives. And you also just have to learn in the film industry, what can and can't get made, at what level. There's certainly a a version of most movies where you could stick to your guns and go off with your friends on a micro-budget and do whatever you want. But for me, I was trying to make a movie that had cinematic basketball and that had actually, you know, there's those are essentially action sequences. And after doing a Kickstarter campaign, which we'll talk about in the future... You can't do a micro-budget basketball movie with actual scenes, you know, because there's a—I mean, with with actual sports scenes, because there's five guys on each team and the refs, and then another seven guys on the bench and all the extras, and you're in a gym and you've got to light it, and one scene like that can end up being the entire budget of your film. So I I knew what my objectives are, and therefore it was easier for me to navigate some of the pressures and changes that came my way, and there were plenty of things that I absolutely drew the line at and said no, and, and I'm not going to make that change, and I'll stick to my guns, and I'll hear another several no's as a
1: result. What were some of the things that you were asked to change? And it doesn't even have to be specific, I'm like in terms of plot details, just more like general things that production companies or whatever distributors came to you with that were like, this can't be in a commercially viable movie for us.
0: I think the central tension between what your objectives as an artist are and what the objectives of the industry are is that yours tend to be, I want to do this because it's different. And the industry often likes things that resemble past successes. So for them, what they might like about your project is that it seems like it's been done before. But your central motivation might be to do the opposite of what's been done before. It's finding collaborators who are interested in what is unique and different about your film that will allow you to stick to those guns. A lot of times the pressures that you face are the ones who want you to make it more like X, you know, this past success, some movie that made a whole bunch of money.
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we talked about getting yourself amped up for this world and immersing yourself in all these different influences and watching, you know, every basketball movie that has been made before. So you're almost doing that yourself in a way in the beginning of the process, right? You're like looking at movies that have been commercially viable and what you like about those movies. And then looking to see what you can in a way take from those movies and put your own twist on. So when you have a draft finished, What do you uh, look for in terms of feedback? Where do you look to? What do you want? Like, what was most helpful for you to move on to another draft? One is just sending it to other people
0: and getting their honest take. And through that process, you'll find some people maybe aren't that helpful because they like it. It's the people who, who really can dig in and say what they did and didn't like about the new draft that you can kind of go back to draft after draft. And sometimes I would segment them too. I would send a draft to, to friends and other filmmakers and then not go back to them for a few more drafts. I mean, you don't want to exhaust people, but really the process of finishing a draft and yes, you can try to pitch it and get financing, but you also need to get it out of your head and screenplays are just words on pages they are not enjoyable to read on their own. They're the blueprint for the house. You actually want to be able to to be as close as possible to building the house and experiencing it as a house that you can walk around in. So the best way to do that is to get actors and to do a reading, even if they're not great actors, even if they're just your friends, but to hear it out loud and to have people go to a reading of the screenplay. And if they're Good actors, they'll be able to to read and give some inflection and some interpretation of the character and also occasionally make eye contact with the other actors even though they're not off-book and they're just reading the screenplay. And then you can see it much more closely to a film, I think. And that's a really helpful process just by virtue of that act itself. Um, In my case, Sundance put on a reading of the script with amazing actors in front of an audience. But there wasn't a QA after. Just the experience of watching it like that was helpful. IFP did one where there was, I think it was the first 15 pages. And I did one in LA. I did multiple readings at my Brooklyn Filmmakers Collective, even with just ourselves reading it as different roles. And what's really helpful about that is it both helps with pacing, because sometimes you realize that five page scene could have been one page because the turn in the middle with the th- this one moment, that's really what the scene was about. So you can, it, it's helpful from, from, from that perspective. But one thing to be aware of that's, that is harder about that process is cinema is not a play. And so, for example, in amateur, there are basketball sequences that use cinematography and music and performance and all these things that they're not dialogue and they're really not interesting to read (laughs) when you're doing a screenplay reading so one tip that i would have for doing a reading is a do it however you can but b cut down on the description in your script so if you have a 100 page script you can probably get it down to 80 or, or or less by virtue of just cutting down that paragraph because what you're really there to do is to try to experience it and look at the actors and watch them. And when someone is sitting there reading the stage direction out loud, it's really not exciting and you just really want to get the gist of it so that you can get back to the, the interactions and the conflict.
1: Do you put the stage directions back in after that or do you like to keep your stage directions sparse? I put them back
0: in. I like to keep them sparse. It's people are generally allergic to long paragraphs of text in a screenplay so sometimes I, I experimented a lot with incomplete sentences on their own lines with capitalizing things just to try to make it more lively and to represent not only what it would be like to watch it in terms of it being exciting and energetic but also the length that it would be because if you if you write a paragraph and it's describing basketball for example but that is going to be two minutes in the movie then the whole idea that a screenplay is one page per minute kind of falls apart, you know. So sometimes I would I would divide things up onto lines and, and do incomplete sentences and hyphens and capitals and really try to try to uh, you know make it more representative of the runtime. And I think actually looking back on it now that I've taken something from script to screen, in many cases I would have I would not I would not have added stage directions, but I think I could have been more explicit about describing somebody's emotion or how they're feeling or what the turn was there because I would often leave that out so that the actors could interpret it, but then your script is being read by a lot of other people that aren't actors. And if you can make it clearer to producers and executives and anyone else in the industry what's going on with these characters, then it helps them to get involved. And I think I left some of that out that
1: next time I'll put more of that in. So maybe you could have two or three different drafts final drafts depending on who's actually reading the screenplay does that make sense i think once you move into production that would be really difficult oh yeah no I'm, i'm think. i mean like i mean of course once you're in production you'll have that one script and it'll probably omit those details that we're talking about but in terms of like having a final script you could still have that final script and show it to producers with the thing that you were just talking about about how you know like this character's emotions change at this point because you you don't want that in your final script you don't want that on
0: well i think there's an art to to finding a version that can be readable by everybody that gives you enough to know but that isn't describing an actor's state of being or facial expression or something you know a more ephemeral description that you can't uh, experience or show in a movie you right. know what's going on inside their head but but just emotionally I felt that I could have put more in N- not, not from a stage direction standpoint but just from uh, being clear about sometimes the emotion of the scene is what the scene is about and if you leave that out in terms of how somebody's feeling at the end or what the turn was then sometimes it becomes less clear. So how
1: important is readability would you say in a script like is it everything or like are you looking when you're writing a script are you looking to make it readable or are you looking to make it watchable Do you know what i mean like what's your priority there
0: i think readability is really important but it's not that hard uh i think it comes with experience you know the more the more you send people screenplays the more you kind of get a sense of um how much is too much and how much can you carve away and, and be minimalistic about it i definitely got a lot less precious because having done so many drafts, the closer you get to production, the more you realize that no one's ever going to see the screenplay except for my Kickstarter backers, and you will get that script. The Kickstarter backers that backed the script, they haven't gotten the script it yet. Level,
1: the script level they haven't gotten it yet. Well, that would be a spoiler. Wouldn't I guess it? so. I, the whole, yeah. I mean, that would be the, the ultimate spoiler. I sent. I already sent out my scripts to people that back, that backed the Kickstarter for my short, but to each his own, I guess. So we skimmed over a few of the tools you used in writing the screenplay that like, kind of helped you with outlining and with uh, writing and research and everything, just keeping you on track. Can you give us a few of the specific tools that you used uh, software-wise, I suppose? Apps? Yeah, ma- mainly software, besides
0: that first, that first the draft, paper, the, right? the vomit yeah. draft. Um, well, final draft is kind of the, the Microsoft Word of screenwriting. I don't know that it's fantastic, but it's kind of the default. And I think certainly by the time you get to production, it's the file format that you'll be needing to give to your assistant director and line producer. And that's what people interface with. Um, I've heard really good things about Fade In. That's the only one that I didn't try throughout this process. I tried Slugline. I tried Highland. I tried Writer Duet. Writer Duet, I actually really liked. Yeah, I'm using Writer Duet. Especially right now. if you want to co write with anybody. Yep. It's an amazing, it's more like Google Docs where it's real time and you can both be editing at the same time. But it's also got a lot of other features that I missed in Final Draft. There's a way to just really quickly save your place in a script and bounce back to it. There's a way to have a version history for each line of dialogue. Hmm. So if you write a line and then you change it, but you might want to come back to an older version. Or, for example, if you're going to be going on to set and you don't know if this actor is going to say this line, it's going to, if it's going to play, and you want to have a, a history of other versions, you can give them for this particular line. It's right there in the script. So I, it's a little bit, writer duet's a little bit interesting because it's one of the ones that was browse, that was developed in a browser. I think there's an app extension. Mm. So I definitely had issues with some sync and with some speed. So by the time we got to production, and I rewrote a lot of this movie throughout production, which we'll talk about in the future directing episodes and the challenges there, but once we got to that point where I was passing off Final Draft files to my AD and that I was writing in the wee hours of the morning after having already pulled a 15-hour day of directing, then I ended up going back to Final Draft because it was just the default and it was a, a local app that was faster in terms of the research side, I think Kindle ebooks are really great because you can highlight them and you can excerpt them and you can do stuff with that content. You can refer to it later.
1: You can tag it. You can make notes. Were there any like outlining programs that you used or storyboarding programs that you used?
0: There, there were uh, outlining tools that I tried. I tried Scrivener. I tried StoryMill. I used Evernote a lot. And ultimately, as I said earlier, I ended up landing on Workflowy because it was... It was just enough, but it was still simple enough. And one of the nice things about Workflowy, which I also went on to use in post and uh, at various stages, is it's a bulleted list, but it's also a little bit more of a to-do app. So you can complete a bullet and all of its sub lists and then just have it hide that from you. So it keeps a sense of forward momentum, and then you can check off this draft that was finished, and then it's kind of gone, but you can still go back to it if you want to bring it up which is nice. The one thing I think is kind of the holy grail of outlining and screenwriting is it, it would be nice to have that type of outline tied to your script itself so that as you delete scenes and as you make changes in the screenwriting software that your outline is automatically updated And trying to, instead of trying to keep the two of them in sync. But I never quite found the right tool within the screenwriting programs that allowed me to do that.
1: So then after you have a draft that you're finally happy with and you think you can start showing off to people like to higher level people how do you package that in a way that you can then pitch and you can use as a way to really uh, get people on board with your picture
0: well that's a great question John thanks and that will be the subject of our next episode which is finding financing finding a producer putting this together into a pitch package what other materials can you put with the screenplay How do you attach cast? All those steps of turning this 100-page document into a movie. We will get into that next time. So if you haven't already watched Amateur, it's on Netflix. Or if you're a Kickstarter backer, check out your rewards. If you have a question about your own feature, we are at firstfeature at nofilmschool.com. I'm at Ryan Biku on Twitter, John.
1: I'm at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. I haven't made a feature, but you could ask me your question if you'd like to. I'd respond. Like what's going to be your first feature, Jim, John, Jim? Uh, who knows? I'm not telling. That's you, for another podcast.
0: You can find all episodes of this at nofilmschool.com slash feature And we have lots of other podcasts. Indie Film Weekly every Thursday it recaps everything you might need to know while you're busy working on films. And interview podcasts go up every Monday. This first feature podcast is just a little side. A limited series. A limited series. Remember what
1: I said about never saying this is a little anything? Let's, This is a big project. It actually
0: is big because it's so long. <laughs> <laughs> each of these episodes. <laughs> but as I said in the previous episode, if we really wanted to get into screenwriting, that would be
1: yeah. way too many episodes and yes. way too much time. It's, it's can, not the most interesting thing to talk about. No. but. You could do an entire series about it, probably, alone. Another limited series about just screenwriting. Of course. But we have other scripts to write.
0: It's true. Instead. So let's get to it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.